Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, joined by Gavin Shaw, as always. And we are continuing through the December mailbag. We are on part four today, Gavin, and I think that we have some really good questions for everybody. Yeah, Alex. Uh, first one comes from Scott Fox. We get into what types of players Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau are going to prioritize. Is it going to be the one-year contract vets? Is it going to be the young players on the rise, like TSJ, Frank, and Knox, kind of make or break years for those guys? Or is it going to be the centerpieces, RJ, OB, Mitch? Then we talk about the Knicks' relationship with the University of Kentucky and the ethics of all that. And finally, we give you some second draft candidates. What failed rookies on other teams will the Knicks be targeting? And maybe some guys who weren't even necessarily failures, but have just gotten overpassed because of signings. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Thompson tucks left. Now fires a three. And he's good. And he's fouled. It's tough. And he has fouled. Anthony for three. All right, welcome to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I am the editor in chief of Knicks blog, The Strickland. You can find it at thestrick.land. Uh, I'm at the Alex Wolf on Twitter. We are Locked On Knicks on Twitter at Locked On Knicks. And uh, as always, joined by my co-host, Gavin Shaw, play-by-play announcer by day, at least in a non-COVID world, and Nick's podcaster by night. This is basically his Batman job to his normal uh, Bruce Wayne job of being a sports commentator. And Gavin, uh, without further ado, we have three great new mailbag questions for today. So I'll hop right into it. The first one is from Scott Fox at Nick's Will Rise. We certainly hope so. Uh, He says, if you're Rose and Tibbs early in the season, do you tilt the playing time towards a one year contract, quote unquote, vets, including Julius Randle in hopes of converting them to trade assets, B, uh, DSJ, Frank, Kevin Knox in hopes of establishing their long term value or C, RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson in that they're the most likely long term pieces. So, Gavin, like when we were discussing this before we started recording, we were like, well, I don't know that these are necessarily mutually exclusive, but I think that I think there's a case to be made that you could probably say that they're going to have to kind of prioritize two of these things. Um, Cause I think if you would try to do all three at once, it would be a fool's errand and you just wouldn't be able to do any of these things. Well, but you could probably do two of them at once and be successful. So with that in mind, what would be your, approach or what you know what do you think the Knicks are going to do I guess we could do it what ideally would we want to do and then what do we think the Knicks are actually going to do right I I, I still I, I'm not 100% sure all three are mutually exclusive only in that you you obviously you don't have to just play every guy in each pool you, you can you can pick and choose who you want from each category so of the one-year contract vets you you're going to play Noel as a backup center probably about I in a in a best case scenario world 18 to maybe at most 
20 minutes a game because him and Mitch aren't going to be on the floor together. But I'd say 15 to 18 minutes a night would, would be a fair expectation for Noel. Obviously, when Mitch is hurt or gets into foul trouble, uh, that could go up quite a bit. Um, and then Burks and Rivers, um, I, I think you're going to be starting one. And whoever you're not starting between those two is most likely going to be your first um, wing player off the bench. And I would personally start Burks. I would bring Rivers right off the bench. And I think in that sense, those guys should be prioritized. They shouldn't be prioritized in the sense, and maybe this is what Scott Fox is getting at, um, in the way Marcus Morris was prioritized, where the ultimate goal was to get his trade value as high as possible. And at the same time, it made sense to play Marcus Morris a ton because he was far and away the Knicks' best player through the first half of last season. Um, I don't think that's applicable to any of these three guys. Maybe, maybe Burks, there's a chance he is if he has a career year. But I, I, don't, I just my, my point would be you don't have to prioritize those guys to potentially get value for them down the road. I think Burks will naturally do it. I think Rivers will naturally have value. And I think Noel will naturally have value because, as we would say for Julius Randle, they would be playing the same role on the Knicks that they would be playing on a contender. And Scott actually wanted us to include Julius Randle in this conversation, so that would be my thoughts on him. Play him for 15 to 20 minutes off the bench, and teams will get a great look at, oh, okay, this is how he would look on our team. You don't have to play him 35 minutes to show his value because, as we saw last season, that will only negate his value because he doesn't play particularly well when he's the fulcrum of a team's offense and when he's a centerpiece in terms of playing time. Um, as for the last two spots, again, you don't have to prioritize all these guys. I would prioritize Frank. I would prioritize Knox to some extent, especially if they're going to play him at the Ford, if he's made leaps um, in terms of his ability to process things quickly on both offense and defense and, and be able to not be a liability on those ends. Um, DSJ, I would not particularly prioritize, even though based on early reports, he's looking good and playing well. And I mean, if, again, if he's, if he's better than he's ever been, maybe that changes. RJ, OB, Mitch, I, I don't think, I, I think, I, I just don't think they're in this conversation because inherently they should be playing 30 minutes a night. And even, I guess the question comes if OB top is a complete disaster defensively, do you still want to prioritize him? I would say yes, because again, this isn't, uh, we, we've talked about it a million times. Um, the goal for the Knicks this year should not be to win as many games as possible. You can argue for morale reasons and competitiveness reasons. Um, Toppin shouldn't be out there for 35 minutes if he is just a, if he if he's literally the worst defensive player in the NBA, which I don't I don't think is all that far off. I think that's a distinct possibility. Um, but even if that's true, he still has to be part of your rotation. He still has to be playing 20 to 25 minutes a night because you invested in him, and who knows how much better that's going to get when he's already 22 years old. Yeah, I totally feel you there. I mean, I'm I'm more or less in agreement. I mean, I think I think out of the A, B, and C, C has to take precedent over everything. Like you have RJ and Mitch, who you know for sure are going to be great NBA players. I think you know it. Yeah, it good. Or, yeah, at the at the very least, their floor is good NBA starter. You know, and at, at the very best, you know, either one of them could potentially be an All Star based off the talent that we've seen. And, you know, it just depends on how things break for them, how they're coached, uh, how they're developed, all that good stuff that, you know, all of our buzzwords that we've, we've been talking about over, you know, the last couple months or whatever. So, you know, I think that's the one gimme is that. And to your point too, like with Obi, like, yeah, I, I think it's way more important to throw Obi out there for a bunch of minutes and let him learn on the fly, let him learn how to be a starting NBA player right away, as long as he's not getting in foul trouble and stuff like that, that's going to be way more useful to the Knicks than like having Julius Randle out there starting still just for the sake of like easing OB in or whatever. 
there's no there's no point easing him in. He's supposed to be a, a you know a day one NBA player. Like that's probably part of the reason that they drafted him. If we're being completely honest with ourselves, like they probably drafted him where they did and were so enamored because they were like this guy, <laughs> not this year, but proverbially would put butts in seats. You know what I mean? Like he's gonna be he's gonna you know get dunks. He's going to score points. He's going to, you know, be a flashy player that is going to make people freak out and tweet about him and, you know, bug out over highlights and all this other stuff. And, you know, I think that's definitely, I think that Leon Rose, you know, is smart enough to know that like part of keeping James Dolan happy is getting marketable players and generating positive buzz about the team. And, you know, I think that even with Obi's defensive deficiencies, like, he's going to be exciting to watch. So people are expecting the Knicks to lose this year anyway, and probably aren't expecting this like defensive stalwart of a team. Uh, so, you know, if, if Obi's out there and he's actively giving up points, but is also actively scoring tons of points, I don't think anybody's going to care this year. That's a question for year two and beyond, I think, uh, because this year isn't going to be about, you know, being the most competitive any given night or whatever. I think they'd be happy to just have him be, you know, John Collins more or less. And, you know, if he could approach like rookie year John Collins or even slightly better, I think that the, the Knicks would consider that a huge success. Um, even Tibbs, who I'm sure is at least somewhat plugged into the front office's thinking as far as how they want things to go this year. Like, I'm sure that there's a directive of like, you know, we don't really care about wins. And, at least I hope that there's a directive of we don't really care about wins and losses this year. Like, make sure that you're developing these kids like, give you know Johnny Bryant and Kenny Payne and these guys a lot of room to move and to you know get these kids you know the training that they need in practice and then the minutes that they need in games and you know don't worry about wins and losses this year your job isn't in jeopardy at all you're not coaching for your job we're not executing for our jobs uh, managing for our jobs whatever you want to call it <laughs> um you know so I, I hopefully that's the approach there as far as now that I've spent way too much time on the given, you know, the, the two things, uh, the two other options there of the one year vets versus the, the DSJs, Franks and Knoxes of the world. I mean, I think you can just sort of stagger those minutes and start figuring out who deserves minutes and who doesn't. I think honestly, my priority would be trying to get, you know, Knox and Frank and DSJ minutes at least early just to see if they if they have it, you know what I mean? And I think that the most likely two out of those three to make that happen would be Frank and uh, Knox out of those. I think, you know, DSJ, it's going to be kind of sink or swim and not much in between. You know, he's not going to he's not going to uh, have much of a middle ground as far as utility goes, I don't think. Um, so I, I guess we'll see as far as that goes, but I would certainly want to give them shots. And then, you know, you have the other vets to fall back on if need be. But like a lot of these guys that are on the Knicks, to your point, Gavin, like the book's already been written on them. Like Julius Randle, if some team wants to trade for him, there's now what, six years of NBA film on him that you can look back on. You can look at his role with the Pelicans if you want to see what he can look like on a team that's, you know, that was actually well coached and had a role for him where he was, you know, probably in the best possible situation of his career. You could look at his time with Fisdale for like a, uh, a how not to use Julius Randall handbook, you know, and, and, you know, reference that if need be. 
And then hopefully this year it'll be sort of an in-between of that or maybe closer to Alvin Gentry uh, with New Orleans, you know, than, than it was to, you know, David Fisdale in New York where it, you could throw him out there for 20 minutes a game. He could be a useful player for the Knicks off the bench. Because quite fr- frankly, like Julius Randle would feast on bench units. Like that's not even a question. Like he, he would really beat up on NBA benches. Uh, and look really good as far as trades are concerned. So you could throw him out there, get those minutes for him. You know, same deal sort of with like Alfred Payton, like the book's already written on him. Reggie Bullock, like he had sort of a down year last year, but like there's a lot of real evidence about what he is as a player in the NBA. And, you know, so if you want to trade him, it really shouldn't be that hard. Uh, If, you know, as long as you give him some minutes just to prove that he's not like, totally washed um same thing with alec burks like alec burks two i think two straight trade deadlines in a row has been traded for like a number of second round picks or maybe even a first round pick at one point and uh you know so teams already know who alec burks is too so as long as you give them some minutes just to say like yeah alec burks is still alec burks like if you need some scoring off the bench or whatever on a contender like he's your guy um you know they can very easily make that happen too so I think I think they just need to strike a balance of you need to have players out there that can that can like prove that they know what they're doing and you know provide some sort of cohesion to the younger players like I don't think you would want to night one you know whatever the goal is for the season I don't think you would want to trot out a lineup of like necessarily like Frank RJ I mean this is like a horrible lineup but just kind of it's just to prove a point but like you wouldn't want to trot out a lineup of like Frank or DSJ, RJ, Knox, Toppin, and Mitch because there's no like veteran presence out there at all. You know, nobody to kind of like keep everybody in their spots or whatever. And, you know, luckily like Frank and RJ are really smart players, so they would do their part of directing traffic and stuff. But I think it'd be more valuable to have, you know, if I think that the starting front court should be locked in as Mitch and Obi to start the season. So, you know, you then kind of want to at least balance that out by putting like Burks or someone out there and getting them some really solid minutes and maybe not even more than like 25 to 30, but enough that they can sort of provide that like veteran anchor shot creation ability, like shot making ability, stuff like that. Like just have some consistency and veteran presence in the lineup. So yeah, I guess, kind of to your point there's no right or wrong answer with this there's but i do think that like if i was going to prioritize one of you know a the one-year veteran types or b the sort of make or break young players i would probably prioritize the make or break young players but with some of the the one-year types sprinkled in uh rather than vice versa where you're giving the one-year types tons of minutes to like quote-unquote showcase them and that requires maybe fading the make or break guys to the bench and not giving them the reps that they need to prove whether they can be NBA players or not. Yeah. So I guess the question to ask is that's what we would do. What is actually going to happen? And I am losing a a little bit, a little bit of optimism that um, our, our best case scenario will come to fruition. I mean, hearing that DSJ is potentially the priority over Frank right now, it seems like Julius Randle is is probably going to start again. I mean, we were we were talking yesterday about Alan Hahn suggesting that they could potentially try and play Toppin, uh, Randle, and Mitch together. 
So I'm I'm still I'm a little worried that like what what would you say the the worst case scenario um well not even the worst case scenario because I I don't I don't know like we, we expect Alfred Payton to start. Like I I just I don't think that's even a question and um I mean based on last season it's fair to argue if they do start Alfred Payton he is at this point a better option than Frank in terms of winning games. Um, again, I'd argue that's that's contingent on how much Frank's jumper has improved and if he's the guy he was, again, small stretch, but post-All-Star break, um, he would be the best option there. But Alex, what do you what do you actually think we're going to see? Because at this point, I don't know. I would be kind of surprised if Julius Randle played less than 30 minutes opening night. Yeah, I think, I think what's actually going to happen is sort of what I said, where they're going to look at it as like, quote-unquote, easing in uh, – Obi and all that and they might even like quote-unquote ease in Mitch and stuff like that like I think the only guy that's more or less guaranteed out of the the for sure long-term piece type guys is RJ like I think RJ is gonna start and you know is gonna have I don't know if I even want to call it a long leash like I, I don't think he's gonna really do anything to jeopardize his you know his standing because we already know he's a good defender he's a smart player He's basically he's not going to shoot himself in the foot. Um, he might, you know, maybe his shooting percentages won't be perfect or something, but he'll do enough things that Tom Thibodeau values that he'll keep him out there regardless. But yeah, I am a little worried that like Randall's going to start. Obi's going to come off the bench to start the season. Um, I actually think maybe even Noel is going to start over Mitch. Like I, I really wouldn't be surprised if like night one, uh, you know, the first game of the season, if we saw and maybe not the first preseason game, I guess we'll see on Friday, but unless they want to like really set the tone from preseason all the way through, but I wouldn't be surprised if like opening night, we had a line lineup of something like, um, Alfred Payton, Alec Burks, RJ, uh, Randall and Noel or something like that, that would not really be surprising to me at all. And it would sort of track with the idea that I think that this front office this year is going to, Look at what happened with Marcus Morris last year, um, you know, with how the the previous regime was able to sort of inflate his value and trade him for a first round pick. And they're going to see if they can do that with some of these players. And if I mean, I hope to be proved wrong, but I do think that there's a decent chance that like some of the guys that we love and want to see get minutes are going to get sort of faded to the bench um, and get barely any minutes at all in the name of trying to, you know, jack up the trade value of certain guys all to maybe get the Knicks like a future first round pick or something at the trade deadline and ultimately have them with a bunch of other guys that aren't moved at all. Unless the Knicks just get way, 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 way more aggressive in trying to trade them, which they have shown like with the Ed Davis situation and some of the moves they've made already that they're very interested in being active players in trade markets. So uh, I guess we'll see as the season goes on, but I, I, I think it's more likely that the the short-term veterans are going to get a pretty decent chunk of minutes. Yeah, all I would note is I think if that does happen, it, it'll be somewhat incidental. I, I don't think they're going to be playing the older guys to hype up their trade value. I think they're going to be playing the older guys to try and win games and to try and put the best lineups possible out there. And because they simply don't think some of the younger guys are, are ready to play big minutes. Anyways, uh, that is a conversation that uh, we have had before and will continue to have until the start of the season. Uh, we are going to get into another exciting question from Mike Plu. But first, I wanted to tell you guys 
about Headspace. Life can be stressful even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. I have used Headspace a number of times. It is excellent. And meditation in general is something I would I would really, really recommend, especially in times like this. I started doing it about a year and a half ago. And as someone who has been uh, perpetually stressed and anxiety-ridden throughout my life, it I found it to be an immense help, especially if you do it consistently, especially if you do it twice a day. And the reason to go with Headspace, it is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditation you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I will note personally, I have, I have, I have felt all those things having meditated. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. I know before I started meditating, I, I thought it was probably overhyped. I thought it was something eh, like all right, maybe some of my weird hippie friends do, and, and I'm glad they're into it. I don't really think it's for me. I can tell you, it really does help. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace's meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash MBA. That's headspace.com slash MBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash MBA today. All right, we are back on Locked on Knicks. We are going to get to Mike Plew's question in just a second, but before we do, Alex, I want to tell everyone about the great week of shows we have coming up in just about three hours in real time. I'm not quite sure what the release difference is going to be. They'll probably be back to back. We are going to be joined by Jonathan Macri and Jeremy Cohen for the ultimate Locked On Knicks, Knicks Film School crossover. People have been begging for it for years, I assume. Nobody's actually told me, um, but I'm very excited for it. We're going to be doing our bold predictions for the season. Every time we have Macri on, every time we have Jeremy on, it's a lot of fun. It should be a supersized, super fun episodes with a lot of opinions flying around. And then on top of that, uh, we are going to be having an all-star cast of uh, Knicks beat writers and analysts to do player capsules. That means going over uh, every single guy on the team in some level of depth and uh, giving our thoughts on each and every one of them before the season. Obviously, we do that in some capacity every single episode, but this is going to be a, a little bit a, a little bit deeper than we usually go, uh, maybe more of an analysis on specific elements of their game instead of just the general context they fit in on the team. And on top of that, um, again, we will have six of Nick's Twitter's best slash uh, Nick's media coverage in general's best to uh, discuss all these guys. So we'll be getting some new opinions on all of them. Uh, without further ado, Alex, uh, let's get into Mike Plew's question at Mike Plew on Twitter. Is it okay for such a close relationship to exist between Nike, the Knicks, CAA, and the University of Kentucky? It seems, quote unquote, great 
from a Knicks standpoint, but is that gross, meaning seriously unethical when NCAA athletes don't get paid? So Alex, we were talking about this a little bit pre-show. I, I think as an infrastructure, the NCAA is gross <laughs> morally. I think gross is the perfect word to describe them. They've been awful for years and years and years. Anyone who's a fan of college sports um, or even professional sports and just sort of follows college tangentially um, can see the level of exploitation is just insane. The fact that I think up until this year, I don't even know if it's fully in place yet, athletes have not been able to profit off their own image is is sick. The fact that uh, the players who generate billions and billions of dollars, uh, literally for someone like Zion Williamson, uh, maybe maybe not billions, but, but millions and millions and millions for a school, um, do not make any money while they're in school is ridiculous. Um, that being said, I was I was a little bit confused by the layout of the question because I, I think I think NBA teams have their own ethical concerns, but I don't really see how the Knicks' relationship with Kentucky specifically is is uniquely worse than anything else because all these guys, I mean, every single player in the NBA for the most part comes through the college system. You could argue the NBA's relationship with the NCAA and the fact that they indulge them in any way, shape, or form is wrong. Um, but I, I don't, I, I fail to understand why the Knicks specifically would be doing anything egregious relative to every other team in the league. Yeah, I think I think Mike's maybe just talking in general about, I mean, if, if the Knicks are like heavily, heavily connected to Kentucky, which is more or less considered, I, I don't want to say like one of the one of the, I actually would say Kentucky of all programs. Actually, if we're if we're going like a total tone shift here, I'd say Kentucky of all programs is actually if if any college program is like quote unquote progressive in the NCAA, I'd almost argue that it's Kentucky because John Calipari. The one of the main reasons that he's so successful as a recruiter is that he's transparent about the fact that like. I'm going to get you to the NBA. I don't care if you're here for one and done, if you stay for two years to try to hone your game, whatever. Like, I just want to get you to the NBA, period. You know, and that's what he says to his players, I think. And that's why they're so attracted to that program and to him, you know, regardless of what you think of him as a person, which, I mean, I think he's shown a few times. He doesn't seem like exactly the most savory person in the world, but whatever. Um, But, you know, like, I, I think... I guess in the spirit of Mike's question, I think maybe he's just more talking about just the general, like what Kentucky sort of represents, which is like, I think Kentucky is viewed largely as one of the final stops for the AAU circuit, like eyeball circuit, whatever type players that, you know, these kids get before they get exploited in college, they get exploited in some way by the Nike eyeball circuit, you know, and all these other like AAU leagues and whatever that, also, you know, like Nike, the the eyeball circuit, like, you know, they, they get, you know, attendance from that. They get, you know, some sponsorships and stuff from that. And, you know, the kids get like whatever, a couple pairs of sneakers or something, which is like basically what they get in college, too. They get a shitty meal plan, a couple pairs of sneakers and, you know, their education paid for while, as you said, generating, you know, millions and millions of dollars for their program and the NCAA. It just doesn't seem quite uh, analogous there. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of struggle to see exactly what Mike's talking about as far as what makes the Knicks connection to Kentucky quite so icky when, I mean, every NBA team, just by virtue of participating in the draft and scouting process and everything else as it stands and the and you know, the NBA, probably for fear of retaliation from the NCAA in some way, but 
the NBA, you know, has mostly stayed silent. Although I guess the NBA itself, just by even implementing the new G League program that we've talked about on here, is kind of giving a middle finger to the NCAA. <laughs> yeah, and the point, the point um, has always been the NCAA has zero leverage over the NBA. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the NCAA could do if the NBA straight up was like, you guys are exploitative and you suck. You know, what is, what's the NCAA going to do? Just be like, okay, like <laughs> you, you guys are mean. Yeah. Like you guys suck, you know, cause it's not like they can force players to stay in their schools or whatever. Like if that was the case and if the NCAA tried to pass something that would prevent kids from going to the NBA from the NCAA, it would just be like an immediate death blow. I mean, they, I mean, they couldn't, there's not, they're, they're free people. Like there, there's literally yeah, not exactly. Yeah. Unless they could say like, we won't give you scholarships unless you sign a contract to play for the school. But I, there, there's no, there's no, the, the fact is they've never, they've been bluffing for a very long time. They have, they have yeah. very little real power. And it's, it's interesting for people who really follow college sports. That's why a lot of people think within three years, there will not be an NCAA or at least one that includes most of the major programs in college football and college basketball, because they've never had any leverage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, players are starting to even realize the power that they have in the situation too, I think. Um, you know, and the fact that more, more kids, some, you know, like Mitchell Robinson, and there's, there's a kid this year whose name is escaping me that decided to just skip college and prepare for the draft. Um, you know, there are kids like that, that say, you know, I can do this on my own. And they still end up getting drafted anyway. Now, granted, Mitch's stock dropped some and ultimately he got taken in the second round, but his talent is showing through and he's going to get, he's going to get his big payday in the NBA at some point, regardless. Um, you know, and then you have the G League program now. You have the overseas kids that go overseas. And, you know, there's all kinds of different things that you can do. And we've seen now, too, like players like, you know, Killian Hayes, LaMelo Ball, you know, just this year that uh, and uh, Denny Avdia, you know, they're, they're kids that play overseas that still get noticed, still get drafted high in the draft. Like it's it, talent still wins out and all that. So, yeah, I I don't know. I, I guess uh, to get back to Mike's question as far as the Knicks involvement with all those places, I mean, CAA just kind of sucks because of everything that that represents with how the Knicks were run for a large number of years. But from the perspective of like the Kentucky pipeline and all that stuff, I mean, ultimately it's getting the Knicks really good players in theory, you know, cause Kentucky consistently attracts the best players, uh, you know, at least the best recruiting classes in the country. Uh, and, like the Knicks aren't responsible for how shitty the NCAA is. So having a close relationship with that particular program, which actually, again, you know, is sort of quote unquote progressive in terms of NCAA programs. I don't really think it's a a huge deal to me. Like, I don't see anything too, too icky about it. Like if I was going to pick out anything that was kind of icky about it, it would be just the way that the Knicks seem at least so far predisposed to looking for guys from Kentucky or from CAA uh, over other, you know, potential players. But I, I also can't argue that they've really made a bad move so far as a result of that. Well, so I, I thought it I maybe drafted, sort of fine line. depending on your, maybe draft. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I guess, but think the draft also didn't break the way that we thought it was going to, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of the players that we could have seen making it to pick eight didn't make it there. So the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, I guess they took just kind of more of a sure thing than Vassell, who, you know, still seems like 
he's going to be a defensive role player for sure, but you know, and probably a three and D guy, but you don't know what his ceiling is. Uh, Avdia, I would have probably taken if I was the Knicks there, but you know, maybe they just weren't in love with him. I don't know. Um, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on the draft pick thing. I was more thinking of the, in terms of right now, like the free agents that they've been signing and stuff. And I can't really find issue with any of them. Yeah. And they have, and they have got, I mean, the first guy they signed literally was from university of Colorado and is repped by someone who's not CAA. So clearly they're not only interested in guys like that. Although there was a Utah connection there uh, from the jazz, but I, someone was making this point on Twitter. It might've been Schmelk, but I'm trying to remember who, who was doing it, but someone repeatedly made this point on Twitter and I couldn't, I couldn't agree with it enough. Um, there's at least again, from a, uh, not this isn't from an ethical perspective, but from a process perspective, in terms of um, you, you, you just want to have the best team possible, right? Uh, and and generally, nepotism precludes an organization from getting the best people, um, because if you're hiring someone on the basis of of your relationship instead of their merit, then it, it's never going to work out. Sometimes there's an overlap where the the person with the most merit is also the person you happen to have a relationship with. And in that scenario, uh, you, you can't go the other direction and say, well, because we have a relationship, it would be unethical for us to get him. No, your job is to build the best team no matter what. So if the Kentucky guys are the best players, if the CAA guys are the best players, then those are the guys you can go and get. And um, I've, I, I'm in complete agreement with the idea that and until we know that these moves don't work, I'm not going to criticize the Knicks for it. And by and large, the the recent history of the NBA has been written by a bunch of guys that have went gone to Kentucky. So it's not the worst thing in the world that the Knicks are stacking up on them. I mean, even Alex, we've gotten into it on today's show, but uh, Mark Stein of the New York Times reported yesterday that the Knicks um, are ha- haven't yet signed, but are intend to sign. Uh, Scalabissier and James Young, I think two exhibit tens or, or two way or um, some kind of uh, minor contract. But I think what they'll probably do yeah. just for what it's worth, they'll probably sign them to exhibit 10 deals. And then, but the, the intention is that they want to sign them to their G league team. So I I've gone over it before on here, but basically an exhibit 10 will more or less be a camp deal and then guarantees they'll get paid more once they go to the G league. So, all right. Anyways, my my point was going to be, I I would posit that Scalabissier, good guy to good guy to take a chance on. I think I think I mentioned him even around the trade deadline last year. Someone who's intriguing, six foot ten, high level shooter, was the number two recruit in his class. Uh, James Young, big star shooter at Kentucky, did not work out on the Celtics. Six seven years older now, and and again, those guys usually don't end up turning into anything like. The players who who went to Europe and then come back, but there are examples of it. Look at PJ Tucker; he went and played in in seven countries for a couple of years. Patrick Beverly, same old. So James Young, who knows? Maybe he's he's a rotation piece in the NBA right now. Uh, the the fact of the matter is, if you're leveraging that relationship that you have to get those guys on your G League team, when I'm sure just about any G League team could use two guys who have multiple years of experience in the NBA and are either in their primes or approaching their primes. And that's a good move. <laughs> despite the relationship, despite the the apparent nepotism at play, it, it's not nepotism if they are the best players you can get in that position. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a good note to end this particular question on. Uh, just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Built Go. Built Go makes you the best you at whatever you do. Whether you can break through your wall with Built Go, whether it's a mental or physical wall, Breakthrough it with Go every day. 
comes in easy to take one and a half ounce packages. You can throw it in your pocket if you're going out for a walk and you know you feel like you need a boost. Uh, you can do the same for if you're going for a run or a bike ride or whatever it is that you're doing in these COVID times. Uh, you can even just take it before a video game session or, or a presentation for work, whatever. If you just want some extra energy, BuiltGo is what you want. That's because BuiltGo is like a five-hour energy, but without that same crash feeling. And it's all natural, so it's better for your body, and you don't have to worry about what crap is in it that is, you know, giving you that energy because it's all natural. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. I'm a huge fan of the peanut butter honey flavor because the consistency of BuiltGo is similar to honey, and it, it's just a natural fit, and it's very, very yummy. So how does BuiltGo work so well? Well, it combines energy gel with collagen protein. So that collagen protein is fast absorbing, gets in your system fast, and it's easy on your stomach. I can confirm I'm not always the best with having organized breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I've taken it before going to the gym on an empty stomach, and it feels totally fine, doesn't upset my stomach at all. And my workouts always are better as a result. It's also loaded with good stuff to ignite your work, it's got beta alanine, vitamin B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine to really, you know, kick you in your butt. And then it has 10,000% of your daily dosage of vitamins B6 and B12 to ensure that you keep going strong and don't get that crash feeling. So if you're interested in picking up some BuiltGo, visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. And we're back to part four of the December mailbag. I never ceases to amaze me. We put out a mailbag solicitation. Everybody just has so many good questions. I don't know why we ever think of our own topics, quite frankly. We should just do mailbag topics all the time because it's always way more fun when we didn't think of the the topic anyway. Uh, so, you know, as always, we love you guys. Appreciate you all for asking questions and being engaged with us and uh, helping the show grow because you guys are as big of a part of it as anybody. Uh, our, speaking of, we have one of our most uh, prevalent question askers and people who interacts with us on Twitter and otherwise. Yuram Lakaj asks our third question for this episode. He is at Lakaj on Twitter. Yuram asks, who should the Knicks go after from quote unquote second draft candidates? Based on their team's draft and free agent activity, uh, he thinks some potential candidates could be uh, DeAndre Hunter, Jarrett Culver, Kevin Herter, or Mo Bamba. Uh, Gavin, I'll I'll throw it to you first. I think we have a little bit of overlap, but we we did come up with some different names here that we potentially be interested in. So if you want to throw out your first couple names, yeah. So I would I would ultimately be surprised if the Hawks wanted to trade any of their guys, even though they've obviously accelerated their timeline by adding Bogdanovich and Gallo and Capella um, and uh, whoever else, Akongwu, Rondo, Dunn. Uh, clearly they want to win this year. But I, I just, I don't really see any need for them. To make a trade, I think Herter after this year still has one more year um, under contract with the Hawks. So I don't I don't think they're going to be desperate to get off of him, even even if that's eventually the move they're going to have to make. And just because they're so deep already, I don't know like what would they really want from another team. Maybe if maybe their game plan, I think long term could be to package one of Gallo or Bogdanovich or Collins 
or Capella, like one of their excess pieces at these different spots with some of their young wings to try and add a second bonafide star around Trey Young. Unfortunately, the Knicks do not have that guy. So I'm not sure how feasible those guys are, but Hunter and Herter in particular would be extremely high on my list. I think um, I'm trying to remember the exact question, but I remember Schwinn posited it and we, we spent some time talking about it either last mailbag or two mailbags ago. And it was basically, um, it was which player who hasn't made an all-star team would we take off of a non-playoff team from last year? And I think Herter was my answer. I, he, he's such a high-level shooter, such a high-level passer. Um, he, I think he is exactly what the Knicks need across the board. So he would be a candidate for me. Um, on the Bulls, we said it a million times over the last year, Lowry Markkinen, Wendell Carter, if they become available, I really don't think they're going to become available. I think Billy Donovan sort of uh, gets them playing their best gets them fitting together. I think they make a ton of sense together. I think they're a very exciting front court and the Bulls would be fools to trade either of them. So let's assume the Bulls are competent for the year. Those guys are off the board. A couple of other names that intrigue me. Uh, Darius Garland, uh, if people remember, I was a big fan of him coming out of Vanderbilt to the point that I was arguing for the Knicks to draft him over RJ Barrett. That was stupid because Garland wasn't great as a rookie, but he did show some good signs. His turnover rate was low. I think by the end of the year, he was shooting pretty decently. Defensively, he was a disaster, but I, I still have hope that he, he can be a pretty intriguing guard, and he's still so young, and I think relative to the rest of the NBA, physically underdeveloped, just with his skill package and his shot, I, I think there's some latent potential there for him to, if not become a star, uh, become a really good NBA player, and I, I'd expect for him to make a big jump. I think given that the Cavaliers have Colin Sexton, that backcourt just makes zero sense for the future. Both those guys do not play defense, and neither of them is a good passer. Eventually, uh, one of them is going to either have to become a sixth man or they're going to have to trade one. So Garland, I actually think, is pretty gettable. I don't know who the Knicks would trade for him. Like, honestly, if the Knicks were really insistent on getting off Frank Nilakina, a Garland for Frank Swap would make a decent amount of sense for both teams. I don't know how I would feel about building my team around Garland and Toppin. I might rather just keep Frank, but if you're going to trade Frank and you, instead of trading him for something stupid that would like help for one year and then leave, um, Garland wouldn't be a bad investment. Dante DiVincenzo, I, I think is really intriguing. Obviously Milwaukee tried and failed to trade him to uh, Sacramento for uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and that ultimately fell through. I still think they're open to trading DiVincenzo and basically anyone outside of their their core three of Giannis, Middleton, and Bogdanovich this year to try and get an upgrade. Who would that be on the Knicks? Maybe it's maybe it's someone like Alec Burks, who I think would be a great fit in their playoff rotation. Maybe it's Austin Rivers who could be on the floor during the playoffs. Maybe it's Nolan's Noel. Can you imagine the rim protection with Noel and Giannis? I think the Knicks and Bucks, and we talked about this with Morris last year, Alex, are are really logical trade partners. They they make a lot of sense going back and forth with each other. And DiVincenzo would be a great target for the Knicks because I'm still pretty high on his game. I loved him coming out of Villanova, um, but his ability to shoot threes, be athletic around the rim, and just kind of create havoc defensively, I I think he brings a little little jolt of energy. He's he's an archetype that the Knicks currently don't have on their team. Uh, He would be a lot of fun. I have some other guys, Alex, but to avoid rambling, I'll I'll save them for the end. Uh, Any thoughts on the guys I just threw out or or any guys that you have? Yeah, I mean, we had a little bit of overlap, um, you know, particularly on the Hawks um, into Kevin Herter, which, you know, I I think that more or less by investing so much in Bogdanovich, they kind of just invest in like the finished product of Kevin Herter. So if they feel like, you know, they don't want to spend the development time on him or whatever. Maybe 
to your point, they could trade for someone like a like an Alec Burks, who's a more guaranteed bench bucket getter kind of thing, you know, to put on their team, um, you know, or just someone in that same vein, maybe even Austin Rivers, like who's a proven, you know, playoff level player who can, you know, play defense and play, you know, some some like quote unquote point guard minutes, like in stretches during the game for you, but mostly as good as an off guard can shoot the ball. Well, stuff like that. I mean, the Knicks do have some guys that could maybe make someone like Herder gettable if he would get on the market and the Hawks, it would be really contingent on if the Hawks actually come out of the gate strong, or if they still come out sputtering after spending all that money and, you know, ultimately don't look like they're going to be real playoff contenders this year, like they wanted to be. Uh, So I guess that's a big if there. Uh, so that's definitely a guy that I'm into. Uh, to to Urim's point, I am also into Jarrett Culver potentially. It's again difficult to say. Like it, Minnesota would have to start showing some improvement this year, you know, and that's a big if. Like after they got D'Angelo Russell last year, I, granted they were adjusting on the fly, but they didn't really make any progress with him and cat together so that combo is gonna have to prove that they can actually be good and in the west considering how stacked the west is i I really don't know that that's gonna happen but if they reached a point where they're like we have to upgrade you know to try to make a playoff push or whatever i could see culver being the guy that they dangle out there in lieu of like a you know a first round pick or something to be like hey look here's Jarrett culver who we just spent you know the number was it six pick number six yeah, the, we just spent the number six pick on, you know, two years ago, and he still definitely has promise. Hopefully he shows some improvement this year uh, from his horrendous shooting from last year. But he has a lot of the same. I mean, we literally went through the debates last year. He has a lot of the same uh, things about him that make him appealing that RJ Barrett has, you know, just I think it's pretty obvious at this point. The Knicks made the right choice with RJ over Culver, you know, as far as potential of becoming the best version of themselves. Like RJ definitely showed a lot more in his rookie year than Culver, but still definitely a guy that I'll be interested in bringing on if he became available. Uh, Mo Bamba. I also agreed with, I really, I, <laughs> I liked pretty much all of Urim's suggestions, but then had a few of my own, but Mo Bamba, like so far in his career. And obviously he's dealing with his COVID issues too, which apparently he's still not a hundred percent from catching COVID, which, you know, PSA for <laughs> the millionth time on the show, but you know, wear your mask, please be cautious about COVID and everything and try not to catch it because there's so much we don't know about this, this virus and everything, but bomb is still apparently showing some symptoms or, or I don't know about symptoms, but you know, difficulties with breathing and all that. But from a basketball perspective, I mean, he's intriguing. He's still rail thin, but he does have shot blocking ability. He has one of the longest wingspans, like in NBA history uh, at, I think it's, I think it's an even eight feet um, to go with his, I think he's seven foot two frame is, you know, so he's got crazy, crazy length. Uh, and he does, he has shown some shooting touch, you know, at least in, in theory, I don't, it, you know, it hasn't really come out in practice, but you know, he's, he does have the potential to be a good stretch big and, you know, a really good modern center. I think it's just going to, if he's going to get there, it's going to take a while and it's clearly been taking a while. So Again, Orlando, you know, another team that maybe has some playoff aspirations this year, like they do pretty much every year. Um, you know, he, he could be a guy that's worth looking at if Orlando's willing to sell low. 
Uh, Malik Monk has come up linked to the Knicks previously. He uh, he had his drug problems last year, which I hope he's gotten a handle of, um, you know, and, and has gotten treatment for and all that. But, you know, if he became available, he's a guy that coming out of that draft, you know, it, by and large, it was like the Knicks were expected to go with either Frank DSJ or Malik Monk. So I guess in that way, you could complete the set in a way if you traded for Malik Monk of the three guards that the Knicks were thinking about taking in the 2017 draft, none of whom have really proven to be much in the NBA yet. Frank, honestly, has probably showed the most out of any of those three uh, to this point, at least as far as staying power in the NBA. But Monk is a guy that, you know, had really good shot creation abilities coming out of college. Um, even flashed a little bit of, you know, I, I certainly don't think that he's he's showing this in the NBA at all, but, you know, in college had shown some uh, potential lead ball handler uh, ability, if not, you know, to be a primary ball handler, but at least, you know, to be able to do it for stretches, stuff like that. So he's, I think he's still got the tools, you know, he's working with a, he's a little short for a shooting guard and, you know, doesn't have a particularly long wingspan or anything like that, but still a guy maybe be willing to take a shot on. To your point, you know, with Sexton and Garland, I think Garland would be more attainable, but you know, if they decide to move on from Sexton too, I'm not a huge fan of him, but I'm willing to kind of eat crow. Like I thought he was going to be an inefficient Chuck in the NBA. And as it turns out, he's an efficient Chuck, uh, <laughs> you know, so he, he can take shots and make shots and he loves to do so. And, you know, I think he's going to, I think his ideal role would be to be something like a Lou Williams, eventually being a sixth man and just kind of coming in to provide some offensive energy with, low expectations on defense because he's a bad defender. Uh, but if it would ever reach a point where the Cavs are willing to, you know, potentially move on from him and he was available somewhat on the cheap, I would go for it. If, you know, if they don't give him a qualifying offer or something like that, then I'd maybe be interested in going after him for a modest contract, stuff like that. So he's a guy I'd like to keep in tabs on. Um, Zaire Smith, which I, I honestly forget if you brought up. I know he's on your list, but I forget if you brought no, him up I, during I, that bro. Yeah, um, he he's a guy I'm interested in too. Just got you know cut by the Pistons after being part of their grand grand plan to create like twelve million of dead cap on their books for the next three years in order to sign Jeremy Grant for twenty million a year. Um, you know, so he's available. I'd be willing to take a shot on him. Toolsy defense defense first guy looked like he could be a real three and D type player has had his issues, you know, with health uh, in varying degrees. So I'd be willing to give him a shot. Miles Bridges is a guy that I know is not on your list. So I'll just finish up my list. And then if you want to throw any other names out, um, Miles Bridges is a guy that I would look at basically because I think with the way things are going in Charlotte, he's going to end up being frustrated this year because they just signed Hayward. And, you know, that's going to fade him back to potentially a really limited bench role. And I feel like he's not going to be happy about that. So I would look at Miles Bridges for sure as a guy that I would want to potentially bring on as like a second draft kind of guy. Another one of those like coulda, woulda, shoulda type of guys where he was it was him, McCall Bridges and Kevin Knox available with the Knicks pick uh, in 2018. And they wound up taking Knox and letting McCall and Miles uh, pass by. So, you know, you get your second chance with Miles Bridges, potentially. I, I think that he's he still basically has 
every bit of the promise that I think he had coming out of college. You know, he's just kind of coming along at his own speed, but you know, he's, he's pretty physically imposing. Like he's a big dude. He's like stocky for a wing, but you know, he's got pretty good instincts. He can shoot the ball. He can get inside. You know, I think he can defend well enough despite having kind of a below average wingspan. And, you know, I, I think that he'll be a pretty decent NBA player for years to come and is just maybe one or two development steps away from becoming like a real, you know, long-term NBA rotation piece, not just on a bad team. So he's a guy that I would look at. Um, then last two, I don't have any particularly strong takes about these guys. I was just kind of looking through names. Jerome Robinson, who ironically enough, the Knicks passed up the chance to take on for free last year and sent him to Washington instead in that uh, in the, the Marcus Morris trade. I would maybe look at him as just like a scoring guard. And uh, Thon McCurr, who, uh, I don't know, we were talking before show, I, it, it says he's, I think, 22, going to be 23 this year. Who knows? There was like a controversy about like, is he actually like three or four years older than we thought he was <laughs> uh, going into the draft and, and elsewhere. But he's always intrigued me with his skill set. I don't think he's really come through with much of any of it. But he's literally available to the Knicks right now if they want him. I, I think he's unsigned right now um, and just sitting on the free agent market. So he's a guy I'd be willing to take a stab at. He had at the time, you know, when he got drafted with the way his high school mixtape looked and everything. And he did a like a post-grad year in high school rather than going to college. So he basically just played high school for one extra year. I mean, his high school mixtape was like people were saying that he was going to be like Porzingis, but with more of a handle. And obviously that was a little bit of a reach uh, because I don't think he's nearly that strong defensively and hasn't proven to be nearly that good of a shooter in the NBA. But he's a guy that I think could be a decent stretch big, you know, if you just kind of narrow the focus with him and make him understand and and embrace the fact that he he's just like a stretch big role player. I I think that he could definitely have some utility in the NBA. going forward if you can develop him properly and stuff like that so that's a guy i would look into uh maybe even if you can convince him to you know get him on that scalabissier contract and try to get him in the g league for you and you know maybe see what he's got and then bring him up to a regular roster spot after some trades or something those are all those are all good names i i will i will finish up by throwing out three dark horse names just quick background quick previews why i like them Kyle Guy of the Sacramento Kings, uh, the point guard of the national champion uh, Virginia, University of Virginia team in 2019. Uh, high, high level shooter. That's that's the pitch. And the Knicks need high level shooting at the point guard spot. Maybe Miles Powell um, nominally fills that role, but I, I still, I kind of like Guy. And I wouldn't, it seems like in Sacramento, they, they have so many dudes now, especially with Halliburton there, that I think he's going to get lost in the shuffle to some extent. He would be back into the roster guy I'd be kind of interested in. And then two um, hyper athletic sort of flex wings slash bigs, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, who, uh, Alex, hear this. He went to the University of Kentucky. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. So he, he, one way or another, he will eventually be on the New York Knicks. Um, so I think this might be the single most likely uh, trade candidate to come through. Uh, incredible, def- incredible defender, versatile, can guard a bunch of different spots. Offensively, was a complete mess. I have no idea how he's developed in his two, maybe. I think this might be his third year in the NBA now um, because he hasn't really played much. But intriguing project still. 
And then uh, maybe one of the guys with the highest upside on this list, too. Also, I would normally consider it a stretch for him to be traded this early into his career. But given um, the situation in Portland, I think there's a chance. And that is Nasir Little, who is in his second year out of the University of North Carolina, was considered at points a top five recruit in the 2019 recruiting class. Never totally developed offensively at North Carolina. Played a bit role for Portland last year, but hyper-athlete projects as a really, really good defender, like big-bodied, athletic, long, basically everything you want in terms of physical tools, as far as I remember, on Nasir Little. And I just think given the fact that Portland, it seems like this is their make-or-break year, and they still have moves to make. Again, and Alec Burks, their backup center is currently Anis Cantor. Their starter is Yusuf Nurkic, so you know they could use a little more rim protecting room protection, Nerlens Noel, Austin Rivers as an extra shooter or defender. It feels like they're sort of one guy away. They have a good amount of depth. One more dude would really round out that playoff rotation. The Knicks have three pretty ideal candidates. Even someone like, for example, Frank Nilkina would be absolutely perfect playing as as the fourth guard next to either um, Lillard or C.J. McConnell. Not C.J. McConnell, C.J. McCollum. Uh, that, that's a sign we should wrap up this podcast, Alex. But anyways, there's a lot of different guys on the Knicks that I think Portland would be interested in. This year, Little, if you want to take a bet on someone, take a bet on a big wing with a whole lot of athletic ability. And this year, Little is definitely that. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I, you know, Nas Little was really, he was really highly regarded coming out of high school and was just kind of the latest in a long line of guys lately that have gone to UNC and then had their draft stock just plummet um but i would say that he was kind of in the same vein as like harrison barnes to a degree of had a really high amount of hype coming out of high school didn't really fulfill on it at unc in college uh still managed to get you know parlayed into getting drafted high enough and then you know now it's going to be up to him to carve out a role for himself in the nba kind of like barnes did but uh i think i think he could definitely do it he's a guy i'd definitely be interested in too Although I wouldn't want to give up Frank to do it just because I don't want to give up Frank for anybody because I think I'm well on record with that at this point, as are you. But anyway, I think that's a good note to wrap up on. We already went way longer than we figured. We entertained maybe putting a fourth question here because uh, we were like, oh, I don't know if we're going to go long enough. Of course, we went twice as long as we should have. Uh, so we will log off for today. As we said, we do have a really big crossover coming up with Nick's Film School. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, it's going to be a little unique. We're going to kind of do it where it's like a to-be-continued sort of deal. I think we're doing two parts on here and one part on Nick's Film School. Um, So, you know, keep an eye out for that in your feeds. And then uh, we're also going to have, as Gavin said, those player preview capsules, which we're pretty excited about. We're having some really good guests come on. I won't spoil those because, you know, what's life without a little intrigue? But we have a lot of really good guests, uh, all people that have been on the show before, but definitely a who's who of who's been on the show before to uh, come on and go over those lists with us. So all that's coming up in the next couple weeks before the season starts. And then we're back to like game recaps all the time and stuff like that. So get excited. So uh, until then, we'll talk to you guys soon and we'll finish up this mailbag as well the rest of this week. And uh, yeah, peace out.